Well, good morning, North Roanoke Baptist Church. It's good to be with you. It's 2016. Some of you didn't realize that yet, did you? Wrote it down wrong in your checkbook. Just got to turn the calendar. It's now 2016, so I want to welcome you, North Roanoke, and welcome you to a new year. Uh, the title of our sermon series over the next several weeks is Fresh Start, and this is my first, first sermon of a new year, so we're going to keep that trend going as long as we can. Uh, but just as, as easily as, as this is a, a first, a new first for me, uh, this morning we want to consider how it is you can start afresh, start anew with our great God. And we're going to do that from 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you search all the pages of Scripture, you may find a better example than this one to kick off a Fresh Start series, but I, I don't think you'll find many. This has got to be among the top five or so examples in all of Scripture of someone who needs and receives a fresh start from God. We're going to consider in just a moment the story of Hannah. It's a familiar story. Uh, for most of you, if you've grown up in church or been around church for a long time, you likely know the story. If you're a first-time guest, you've never been in a church building before, then let me tell you a little bit about Hannah and then we'll break into the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 in just a moment. Hannah is a lady who lives at the end of the period of the Judges. Now, the time of the period of Judges doesn't end well for Israel. The last verse of the book of Judges tells us everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So here we have the people of God, the Israelites, who've been given the word of God, the blessing of God, the promise that God would give his son, and everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. And then we come to 1 Samuel, we turn the page, and we find this family. A man named Elkanah and his wife Hannah. And we learn that she can't have children. We learn there's another wife in the household who can, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But they go up year after year after year to this place called Shiloh in obedience to what Moses had commanded way back in the Pentateuch. They're going, living in anticipation of the fact that God had promised He was going to send deliverance when Shiloh comes. So they're looking for a Savior. They're looking for a son who will be born of woman and help in the process in some way that's not fully comprehended by Hannah, but she knows that it's going to happen through a son. And she longs that she would have a son, and she cannot have a son. She needs a fresh start. She needs... God to do what only God can do in her life. And I don't know where you come from this morning. I don't know what issues or challenges you bring into North Roanoke Baptist Church this morning, but we serve a God who gives a fresh start. Would you consider reading with me in 1 Samuel chapter 1? We're going to break into the text in verse 11. This is what God says, beginning in verse 11. She, meaning Hannah, made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. That's a portion of the Nazarite vow. She's saying he will be a Nazarite unto the Lord, fully devoted to the Lord's service all the days of his life. Verse 12, now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving. 
but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Don't consider your maidservant as a worthless woman. I've spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you've asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now, when she'd weaned him, she took him up with her, with a three-year-old bull, one ephah of flour, and a jug of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. Although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord for this boy. I prayed and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Would you pray with me? God, help us. This morning to understand this text of scripture. Holy Spirit, please come and speak to our hearts. Apply this word to our hearts in a way that only you can. Help us to see ourselves in Hannah. Help us to see ourselves in this text and to respond as we ought. And God, we pray for the fresh start that only you can give. May it start today in me. May it start today in this family of faith. May it start right here in order that the nations may know that you're the God of a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the scriptures are filled with the accounts of people who need a fresh start, aren't they? Adam and Eve, they sin, they're cast out of the garden. God slaughters an animal, covers them with skins, and he gives them a promise of what? A fresh start through a son who would come. Noah gets off a boat, and he's the only family on the planet. And God says, I remember you. We're going to give you a fresh start. When Samson surrenders his faithfulness to God for the lust of his eyes, he needed a fresh start. When David sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and God, he needed a fresh start. When the Israelites devolved into idolatry, and in the reign of Josiah, they find the scrolls, and they see that they have left their God, they needed a fresh start. Start. I believe in this text that we've just read that we see two hinge verses on which the entire chapter rests. And I believe they're verse 11 and verse 19. 
If you look at verse 11, you'll find that Hannah makes a vow, calls on the Lord of hosts, and asks that he would what? Remember her. Not only that he would look on her affliction, but that he would remember her. And then in verse 19, it tells us in due time, or in the process of time, after a season, God remembered her. God intervened favorably on her behalf after a period of seeming silence. I believe these two verses are the fulcrum of the text that show us two key points that we should discern and receive and apply in our lives out of this chapter. Here's the thesis statement of the entire sermon. God remembers His people, especially His hurting people, when they do two things. When they call on Him in prayer, consistent with His purposes. When they call on God in prayer, consistent with His purposes. And secondly, when they resolve to worship Him regardless of his response. Now, for a moment, let's consider Hannah's circumstances. Let's consider the sources of her oppression. She calls herself, in verse 10, a woman in great distress. She calls herself, in verse 15, a woman oppressed in spirit. Why is this? Well, first, her circumstances. In verse 2, we learn that she has no children. God's promised to bring deliverance through a son, and she has no children. Furthermore, though her husband loves her, there's another wife in the home named Penina who apparently is just having babies left and right. We would call her fertile myrtle. She's having no trouble. She's giving birth every time you turn around. Now, here's the thing. Twice we're told that God had closed Hannah's womb himself. That she was made barren by God in order that his grace might be magnified and displayed through the life of Hannah. This is an amazing truth, that God himself would would hold back blessing for a season in order that we would so desire him and his life and his purpose and his mission that we would get to the place where our circumstances don't really matter anymore. We just need God. Hannah is oppressed by our circumstances But she's also oppressed by the second helping. Look at verse 5. It tells us that every time they went up to Shiloh, that Elkanah, he's like us, guys. You know, when our husbands have difficulty and we, we just don't know, excuse me, when our wives have difficulty and we're not sure how to minister to them in the appropriate way, he gives her a second helping of food. Now, I don't know about you guys, but but if I were to take my wife out to eat, and I said, you know, I know you're going through a difficult time here, why don't you just order two meals? And that'll make it all better. But, and, and not only would I do that once and she'd smack me. Not really, I know she wouldn't. But she, what are you thinking? They go up year after year after year and every year, instead of having a son that she longs for and the deliverance that God has promised to give through a son at a time when everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, she seems to be faithful. She's living her offering envelope Christianity. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody got the offering envelope with your checkboxes? I did every single checkbox. I brought my offering today. I read my Bible daily. I made my contacts this week. I did everything I was supposed to do. But on the inside, I'm withering away, longing for God to do something with me. And all I got is another helping of food. She was oppressed by her circumstances in the second helping. And she was also oppressed by the second wife herself. Penina didn't seem to be a very nice lady, now did she? In verses 6 and 7, we learn that she provoked Hannah bitterly. And she did it, in verse 7, year after year. And then Elkanah, poor guy, 
The second helping doesn't work, so he also asks some sorry questions. Look at verse 8. I see myself in verse 8. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Why do you weep, and why don't you eat, and why is your heart sad? Now, guys, we do this in marriage, don't we? We ask our wives question, the questions that we know the answer to. I mean, he knows what's up, right? He knows the issue is she can't have a son and she longs for a son and longs for the deliverance that God would bring through a son. And he asks some really sorry questions, apparently year after year after year. So here's, here's this is free. This isn't really germane to the primary thesis of the sermon. But guys, don't ask your wives sorry questions. When you're riding down the road and you know what's up, just don't ask lousy questions. And how do we know that he knew what the problem was? Look at the last question that's recorded for us in verse 8. Am I not better to you than ten sons? Wow. Way to go, Elkanah. Way to miss the point. I mean, have you not read Genesis 3? God's going to deliver us through a son. I'm longing for a son. He's commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, and I'm incapable of filling, fulfilling God's command. And you want to ask me if you're better to me than ten sons. The answer is a big, giant, fat no. You're not. I need a son. Read the Bible. And then, lastly, she's assaulted. She is Beset, she is oppressed by herself. You know, fundamentally, that's where we all get to at one season or another of our lives, isn't it? That whatever's going on in the milieu of life as the cauldron is stirring and circumstances are rolling around, that we get so distracted by the stuff of life that we forget the purpose and the plan of God, and we allow our lives and our joy in life to be dictated by our circumstances and not, rather than by the God who has purposed to deliver us. In verse 7, it tells us, she got to the place that she wept and she would not eat. She was, she was so overwhelmed by her condition and her circumstances that she would not even eat. Her life, her spiritual life was a proverbial groundhog day. Like Bill Murray, she's Waking up every year in the same place with the same problems, having the same issues, and she runs to the one place that she should run. She runs into the presence of God. She runs to the temple of God, and she begins to pray. And in verse 11, she makes a vow. She calls on the Lord of hosts, and she begs that God would remember her. Here's the promise of this text. Dear friend, dear brother, dear sister, Dear North Roanoke Baptist Church, did you know that you can call on God in the midst of great pain? Did you know that your frustration with your circumstances in life are simply running to the presence of God and calling on Him in prayer away from a fresh start? Did you know that frustration is that close to a fresh start with God? It's better to be frustrated than apathetic about it. Better to run to the presence of God and Pour out all the muck that's in your soul. She tells Eli, who thinks she's drunk, incidentally, which is a lesson to us ministers. We don't even recognize heartfelt prayer when we see it anymore. Eli comes and thinks she's drunk. She goes, it's not what I've pouring, been pouring into my body. It's what I'm pouring out of my soul. 
Verse 16, she says, I'm praying out of my complaint and my provocation. God, I've got issues. I've got problems. I've got challenges. You don't know what's going on with me. Well, God does know. And he says, bring it to me and linger with me in prayer until you crave me and my deliverance more than the problems that are besetting your life. And watch what I'll do. And Hannah runs into the presence of God in verse 11. She makes a vow she calls him Lord of hosts and begs for his remembrance. There's three things I want you to see in this verse very quickly. First, she makes a vow. She doesn't go to a priest. She doesn't go to someone else to make the prayer on her behalf. She makes a vow, which gives her direct access to God. And in making a vow, she's saying, God, I'm serious about what I'm going to pray. She's not bartering with God. She's begging God to deliver her. Then she calls God the Lord of hosts. She's the first person in all of Scripture to ascribe to God the title, the Lord of Hosts. Lord of Hosts means three different things in Scripture. It can mean the Lord of Armies, as it often does in 1 Samuel. It can mean the Lord of Angelic Beings, the hosts of angels. Or it can mean the Lord of the stars, of the galaxy, of the myriads of stars that are out there. And I, I don't know which it means in this context, but if you'll allow me for a second to use some sanctified imagination. Here's what I think happened in her life. I think night after night after night when Penina and Elkanah are putting down their gaggle of children and she has none to assist with, she has no role in that, that she simply starts to excuse herself. She goes out and looks at the starry sky and she's reminded of the promise to Abraham that he would have children who outnumber the stars and she says oh lord of hosts if you can make all the starry sky surely you can move surely you can give me a son surely you can let me be a part of your plan and your mission and the progress of the gospel to the end of the nations god use me and she runs to the temple and she begs god to use her and notice what she calls herself three times in just one verse your maid servant your maid servant your maid servant hannah has given up on fixing what besets her and she's run to the god who can fix it himself She's tired of trying to work it out on her own, and she's come to the God who can work a miracle of deliverance and salvation. So Hannah, in making a vow, says, God, I'm serious. Hannah, in calling God the Lord of hosts, says, Lord, you're everything. And Hannah, in calling herself the maidservant, says, God, I'm nothing apart from you. I submit to you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, if we're going to have a fresh start this year, if we're going to see God do stuff in and through us that we could never dare to dream or imagine, it's going to start when we start praying like that. God, I'm serious about what I'm asking you for. God, I'm done living my life in the milieu and the soup of my circumstances. I'm ready for you to work and you to move and you to draw and you to lead in a way that I, don't even, I can't even conceive of. God, I am serious about what I'm praying. But secondly, God, I know you can do it. You are the Lord of hosts, the King of kings. And lastly, lastly, God, I'm nothing without you. Oh, that we would pray like that, that we would ask God to remember us like that. In verse 12, we learn that she continued praying. Literally, she multiplied her prayers. In verse 13, we learn that she spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. That's because the movement was not just her lips. She wasn't saying words, so Eli thinks she's drunk because Jewish people would pray aloud. 
Hannah says to him, look, the movement of prayer is taking place in the place it should happen, right here in my heart. In North Roanoke, when we get up here on stage and when we, in our Sunday school classes, when we pray, that's a good thing. And it's good that we pray aloud. But let's pray until there is movement in our hearts. That we truly long for the deliverance that God will bring. She prays for God to remember her because that is a particular word of covenant blessing and promise. It's a reference to what God does when he intervenes in time and space when man can't help themselves. When Noah gets off the boat, it says God remembered Noah. When Rachel was barren, it tells us that Rachel was remembered. When Samson was in the portico and he's blind, God suddenly gives him more strength than he had had before and he kills more enemies of God in that day than ever before. It tells us that God remembered Samson. Here we find that God remembers Hannah. And if God had not remembered Hannah, think about what God does in remembering Hannah. God remembers Hannah, who has a son named Samuel, who anoints a king named David, in whose line a Messiah comes. Do you believe this morning, North Roanoke, that when we get alone with God and in the presence of God and ask Him to remember us consistent with His covenant plan and promises, that He will use us not only for our sake, but to bless the nations? We serve a God who remembers His covenant and His people. And He's done it ultimately in His Son. So Hannah shows us that God remembers His people when we call on Him in prayer, consistent with His purposes. But secondly, He shows us that He remembers His children when we resolve to worship Him regardless of His response. You say, well, Daniel, where do you get that? How do you see that? you got to go down to verse 20, where we learn that Hannah prays in verse 11 and following, but God doesn't remember immediately. It's in the process of time or in due time. Well, does Hannah, does her face change only after God remembers? Or does it change after she prays? You see, look what happens in verse 18. This is is fascinating to me. So Eli asks her what's going on. She explains. Eli says, may the God of Israel grant you peace. Go in peace. Look at verse 18. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Whoa, what's going on here? Look at verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. Now guys, can you imagine if you're Elkanah? You've been going up to Shiloh year after year after year, and you know it's coming. You're going to give the second helping, and your wife's going to be more depressed, and then you're going to ask sorry questions, and nothing's going to happen. And then suddenly, you didn't do anything, but your wife went and got alone with God until she wanted God more than she wanted anything else, and she got up the next morning and worshiped with the family, and her face was no longer sad. You're saying, Lord, I don't know what happened, but thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But look what happens. It continues. Verse 21, Elkanah continues to go up and pay his vow. We learn that Hannah doesn't take Samuel right away. Now, when I was younger and didn't have children, I thought, man, Hannah is, she's cheating. She said she was going to give the son to the Lord all the days of his life, and now she's holding back. You know, for the cute, cuddly phase where you get the beautiful pictures and you put them on Facebook. But then I had a child and then another child. 
And here's what I realized. Hannah was not cheating. She was taking the most difficult part of raising a child. You know, the sleepless nights. You know, the reflux. And the five-point donkey seat. Five-point harness. You know what I'm talking about? You got to do something with that kid, right? All the trouble and turmoil and sleepless nights and bags under the eyes that come with a young child. Hannah said, you know what? I'll take that. I'll go all the way through potty training at just about the time that he knows how to go to the restroom by himself, just about the time that we're going to have fun in the floor and wrestle and play and tickle and actually sleep all night, then I'm taking my son up to Shiloh and I'm giving him into the Lord's service. You talk about a sacrifice. You talk about a woman whose heart had been changed in the midst of prayer and craving and desiring God and His plan and His purposes more than anything else. She takes her son up to Shiloh. Look at verse 24. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Verse 24 begins with the mention of her son, and it ends with the mention of her son. In the middle, we find the elements of sacrifice that we are supposed to bring, or she was supposed to bring, in fulfillment of a vow. So she not only fulfills her vow and brings that offering, she brings her only son as an offering to the Lord. And then God in His grace accepts the bull as the sacrifice rather than her son because one day God would ultimately remember His covenant in giving King Jesus for us. He would walk up Calvary's hill and He would not have anything else to offer other than Himself. And He would let Himself go to the cross and be crucified as the bread of life for you. His blood would become the wine of the new covenant for you. And she worshiped the Lord, devoted to him, believing that he would remember her and that he would work great things for the salvation of his people and ultimately the salvation of all nations. And we sit here this morning and I stand here this morning in no small part because a woman who was vexed and frustrated and controlled by her circumstances dared to run into the presence of God and say, I'll not leave here until you remember me. North Roanoke Baptist Church, God has remembered us. Hannah's prayer has been answered. Christ has come. The offering has been given. And this morning, we too can offer ourselves to him in prayer, begging that he would bring deliverance that only he can bring as we cling to him and his plan and his purposes and say, God, would you remember me? So this morning, how can we respond? How can we respond to the great, amazing truth that we can call on God and He will hear and remember His people because He has remembered us in Christ? Here's how we respond. First, you may not know this King. You may not know this Jesus who substituted Himself in your place. You know this morning that 2016 will be the exact same as 2015 or perhaps even worse unless you call on the name of the Lord and find His salvation. We invite you to come. We invite you to come this morning and say, Jesus, I need you. We'll help you on your way to knowing Christ. Some of you are new to town. You want to partner with us in ministry at North Roanoke Baptist Church. You want to be a part of a church that wants to pray like that, that wants to believe like that, and wants to see God do amazing, incredible things through us, not because of who we are, but because of how great and awesome He is. We invite you to come and join with us here at North Roanoke as we're on mission to the Roanoke Valley and to the ends of the earth. 
But then I have an invitation for all of us this morning. We we can't hear a a 30-minute message on prayer and not pray. So this morning, I'm going to invite Kim to come and just pray quietly. And I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Now, if you're one one of those first two groups, you want to come and trust the Lord, you just come while we're praying. If you're one of those, in one of those groups you want to join with North Roanoke, you just come while we're praying. We'll be ready to receive you. But I'm going to lead us here as Kim prays in the time of prayer. And I'm going to pray just a few simple sentences and then ask you to pray accordingly. And at the close of our time, I'll invite Pastor Dale to come close us in prayer and lead us in our Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? you need to come this morning, just come. Just come now. We'll be ready to receive you. God, the first thing we, we want to do this morning is we want to come as people who live in the real world of real circumstances and real frustrations. God, I I ask right now that your spirit would bring to mind the the frustrations and the disappointments that, that are besetting each of us individually right now as husbands and wives and fathers and sons and daughters. God, bring to mind the things that are frustrating us. Now, I want to urge you, North Rona, because the Spirit brings those things to mind that are frustrating you, to just be honest with God for a moment. Will you just just go to God right now and say, God, here's what's frustrating me. No matter how small or big, God, just tell Him, "God, God, here's my frustration. Now, God, we, we, we just saw that we can come to you in the midst of our frustrations and you'll still hear us. But, God, you've got to produce within us a longing and a desire for your mission, your purpose, and your plan that exceeds our circumstances. That's higher and greater and better than whatever stuff we find ourselves in. God, lead us to that place right now. Help us to call on you and ask you to remember us. Remember our families. Remember us as, as husbands, wives, sons, daughters aunts and uncles and grandparents. God, remember us and give us our place in the stream of your covenant. North Roanoke, cry out to God right now and say, say, God, I'm done with the frustration. I I know that doesn't mean my circumstances are going to change right away. They may not change at all, but cry out to God and say, I want to be used by you, God. God, help us to leave this place as those whose countenances, whose faces are no longer sad. God, help us to leave as those who are so committed to your plan, so committed to your salvation, that we'll offer up anything for the sake of your gospel. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would remember North Roanoke Baptist Church in 2016. Heavenly Father, I beg that you would give us a fresh start. 
that you would move in this pastor's life, that you would move in the staff's life, that you would move in the life of everyone gathered here, and that you would move in this valley for the glory of Christ. God, help us to pray. We, we sometimes and so often don't know how to pray. Help us to pray and to receive your ministry. We ask it in Jesus' name.